You are listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Hello, and thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation Series. For those of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Fort Coburn, Waynefleet, Welland, and Pelham. We're located in Southern Ontario, no better place to live, work, or play. Joining me today is my co-host, my guest co-host, John Van Brussel. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you, Dolores? I'm fantastic as well. I can't wait to get to this conversation. Earlier this week, uh, the United States reopened its land border with Canada to non-essential travel for the first time, first time since the onset of the uh, pandemic in March of 2020. Uh, the United States requires that travelers be fully vaccinated, but Canada also requires anyone entering or re-entering the country to show proof of a negative PCR test, which costs about $200. Further, Canadian trucker drivers uh, crossing into the U.S. will need to be vaccinated, um, and that was according to an announcement last week by the U.S. Customs and Bro Border uh, Protection. Well, I can't speak this morning. Uh, how will all of these moving parts impact our supply chain, hospitality sector, our economy? John, let's get to it. Who do we have joining us this morning for this fantastic conversation? Thank you, Dolores. This morning, we welcome back Corey Schuler, Executive Director of the Niagara USA Chamber, Craig Turner, President of both the World Trade Center, Buffalo, Niagara, and Momentum, and Joyce Morocco, President of Destination Niagara Falls, and elements of success, as well as a former city councillor of Niagara Falls. Welcome to you all, and thank you for joining us. Great to be Corey. here. Thank you. Okay, Corey, let's start with you. As Dolores mentioned, this past Monday, the land border reopened to Canadian traffic entering the USA. Was that a fairly smooth reopening, and any ideas as to who was coming across? Um, there's still confusion over the exact testing requirements. So to enter Canada, you need a, a negative PCR test within 72 hours. Um, so you can still, but you can fly over into the United States without needing any kind of testing. So it's created a bit of confusion. Also, whether if you take a test in Canada, drive to the United States and drive back, does that test you took in Canada count as your 72 hour PCR test? So there is still some confusion, um, of folks coming across the border, while we did see an uptick in people crossing, there was not a massive rush of people on the original uh, initial opening time. I think as people are still trying to sort this all out. Yeah, it's such a, it's, it's confusion. There's so many different messages. It's, it's a set of rules for land. It's a set of rules for air. And uh, just before we, we started the podcast, we were just talking about when you live in a border community, the border is seamless, right? Like we don't think twice. Uh, pre-COVID of, okay, we're going out for dinner. Where do we want to go? You might end up on this side of the border or that side of the border. Uh, you go to concerts, you go to plays, you go visit friends, you you just go out for pizza and chicken wings. Like it, it was just seamless. And that has kind of disappeared for two years. And, uh, you know, there was all this excitement about the border reopening, but people are not... Um, not feeling comfortable because it is so confusing. Mm -hmm. Joyce, I mean, you've lived here your your whole life. You you get it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's exactly. You know, Dolores, thank you very much for having me participate in this. It is a very challenging topic that I think that we're all trying to deal with on both sides of the borders and at an international level. Um, as a meeting planner, a professional uh, consultant as well, and then also having Destination Niagara Regional uh, website to promote uh, all our businesses, you know, we basically were quiet for the whole year. I mean, we still sent out information. We still promoted beautiful pictures of the Niagara region, telling people when the time is right to come. Well, I don't know that they still know when the time is right, because we don't know when the time is right. The borders opened. And when the borders opened, like both sides, you know, I drove by the hotel parking lots along the Falls View area. And I didn't see an over influx of US visitors. Like you didn't see the plates, you could tell just from the, the drive time. So yeah, it's it's really challenging right now. And with this whole air, you know, the, how are you doing it through the air as, as you were just saying, uh, uh, as compared to the uh, cross the border, uh, you know, drive by, drive through. This testing is ridiculous. It's just, you know, I mean, I understand that it's in place. I shouldn't say it's ridiculous because first of all, from a, a tourism perspective, I'm saying open up. And then from the other side, I have to say, let's, you know, we need to listen to science and I'm not the scientist, you know, I want to make sure that it's safe because I'd rather take, you know, the, the slow steps forward than a huge bunch of steps backwards. I don't want to go back there. I don't think anybody does. So let's do it safe and cautious, but let's get the message out. And I think that's where the government's lacking the message on consistency, you know, why can you fly? You don't have to have the test, but yet if you're in the car and a family of four, you could get up to, you know, a thousand dollars by the time you come over and go back. They're not going to do that. Let's face it. They're not. And everyone's really not comfortable right now either. So we've got to get to that comfort zone and get the messaging correct. Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of an issue too. There, there was an interesting statement on global news that came out uh, November 8th from somebody in the medical field at University of Toronto, I believe. And his statement was, and, and, I, and I understand it, because again, we agree, we've gotta be careful because we don't wanna see an uptick in cases again. But the statement was along the lines of, it's not unreasonable to think that even vaccinated people who travel to the US may come back with COVID. When you have that kind of messaging out there to the average citizen, we're, this is kind of inside baseball to all of us because we do all of this every day. Mm -hmm. When you see or read a statement like that, you're thinking, oh my God, my chances of going to that country and coming back sick are really substantially high. So the messaging here is playing an important role. And I don't think that anybody, whether it's you know the, the, the medical side or the political side has found the right messaging to make people comfortable with free access of travel. And I think that's, that's why you're seeing that slow trickle of people going back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Corey, you're right. And I mean, let's face it. The, the vaccine isn't going to stop us from getting COVID-19. It's just going to reduce the severity of it and hopefully keep a lot of the people out of our hospitals and that backlog that our medical people are dealing with. So, you know, you're still, um, you still can get it. I mean, you can still get the cold and the flu. Uh, yes. And right now, I think the big concern is with a lot of people is the children. And we're seeing right now that percentage that in that little spike that we are seeing now is really uh, is in the young children that are unvaccinated or people that are unvaccinated. So that's still a little bit of the fear factor out there. And for God's sakes, you know, we don't want to have uh, our kids getting sick or, or, you know, a higher impact on our health care system, which is already overloaded here in Canada. I'm sure it's the same in the United States. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Craig, I, I know you're itching to get into this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So I've been working on border issues for I mean, close to 20 years now, actually. And um, most of that time, I mean, in that time, there was 
9-11, there was WHDI. There's been some significant moments in, in border policy that have happened. But all that time, uh, the, the goal was to eliminate the hassle at the border for both commerce and for, and for individual travelers. Um, and over the last two years, it seems like a lot of the work has just gone, a lot of that good work has gone away. I think we were in a really good place a couple of years ago, and now it's gone away. And, you know, we look uh, with World Trade Center, we look more to the business traveler and the commerce traveler um, going across the border. Uh, the, uh, you know, the chambers and folks like Joyce do such a great job on tourism. We don't even really put our fingers into that. Um, but uh, business travel has been a huge, a huge challenge. And this is something, and Dolores, you said at the beginning about, you know, realizing that we're one economy and, and you know, if anybody's ever, ever done a Facebook ad and the way Facebook ad, way you target your Facebook ads is you pick a location and then you can extend uh, a circumference of, of uh, up to 50 miles around that location. That's how you do your geographic targeting. So if I want to run a Facebook ad in Buffalo, half of the territory is in Canada. And, people, and, I, and I think a lot of people around the country don't realize that. And, and how this cut, it all, cut us off, you mentioned, yes, we, we, we would go, go to dinner on the other side of the border. I mean, back before the passport requirements, we would go to lunch. We would leave our office downtown Buffalo, go to lunch in Canada, and be back in time for the afternoon, uh, which is crazy. And people don't realize that. But on the business side, what, what it's really hurt is that in-person uh, interaction, uh, especially when it comes to sales and business development and partnerships and relationships, you know, not being able to cross the border because, you know, somebody in your, somebody else in your company might, might have been essential the whole last year, but you're a salesperson, you're not essential. You don't get to cross the border. So to be able to not build those relationships and things has really hurt the regional economy. Um, you know, I would, I would cross the border, uh, recreation, recreationally all the time, but more for business. And I would, I would go, at, you know, I'd cross the border and I'd wait for rush hour to end. I'd go at nine and I'd schedule five, six meetings and then I'd come back across the border and that would be my day. And uh, that's gone. That was gone. And yes, we have Zoom and we can talk and we're on Zoom right now and we all see each other. But how, you know, I think not, no one will say that that's the same as, as being in person and being able to, to, to put these things together. So I think when the, when the, when the, when the border opened on November 8th, uh, there was a lot of hope, but there's still a lot of questions. And, and like any of these things, whether it's large events or whatever, you know, whatever policies they are, there's two facets to it. There is the rule that the state, the country, whatever, there's the rule. And then there's people, people's attitudes to it. The state may say you can put 100 people in a room, mm -hmm. but half of the people in your membership are not interested in that at this point. So, or in the case of some of these larger companies, can't even do it anyway. Um, so, I think that's what you're facing on the border is yes, it's open. You know, some, we, we stood there with our signs that said, Welcome Canadians. And, and, uh, uh, but I don't think it's, I, I think the avidness to cross the border uh, is being stunted by some of these other policies that are that are still in place and then the the confusion over those policies yeah i want to bring john into the conversation because uh john uh prior to covid you crossed the border every day for your business and uh, you've been in a very um uh, interesting situation since um and and are still so I'll, I'll turn it over to you to to talk a little bit about your experience 
Yeah, well, for me, it, it was a perfect storm. Not only did uh, COVID hit, but at the same time, my E2 visa came up for renewal. And I had been bugging my lawyer in the U.S. for a year to get it in. He said, no, no, we can do it in July. Then he said, no, no, we'll do it in November. No, no, we'll do it in February of the next year. It was, it was expiring in January of that year. So that, that, that visa is what, just for our listeners? It's a uh, treaty investor visa. So that means that I have a business that I invested a substantial amount of money in in, in the U.S. And it's, it's operating and it's a viable entity. And I'm uh, the president of the company, so as a key person or now as we're called essential, you know, I, I should be able to go back and forth. So I stayed home until uh, this uh, December last year. And then I said, well, this is re retarded. I'm not getting, pardon my French. I can't say that word anymore. My daughter tells me, but uh, you know, uh, I, I was sitting here for nine months and, and I was able to run my business because we were blessed with a guy that had worked for us before and he was working for the business that we rent from. So he did all our work, but in December, I went across and I said, well, here's all my paperwork. The, the embassy has my application. What can you do for me? And they basically told me at the bridge, they said, well, you know, because of your visa classification, um, you can only come in one day every two months. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, what business person could go to their business once every two months and run it successfully? Well, I would say I can because we've done it. But if this had been 20 or 30 years ago, the business would have been closed because we wouldn't have had email, we wouldn't have had uh, cell phones and all the technology that basically makes borders almost, in other than having to have somebody physically pack and ship stuff, the border doesn't really impact my knowledge and my dealing with my customers. Where it does impact me is, is if I'm looking for a specific machine part for a customer and then I got to tell this guy how to find it and I got to remember where it was two years ago and, you know, it, it's just uh, a nightmare. And every time I go across, they ask me, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to Veneer Systems. And it's it's the same same spiel. And then the last time I went was really interesting because the, the young lady at the, at the booth in the U.S. said, uh, oh, yeah, we, we, you, you should never use a lawyer for your visas. You should go through us. We're here to help you. And, and we want to help you fill out the application. I'm, I just about rolled my eyes. But we all know when you go to either border, you don't get smart with anybody because then you get you get a nice long visit in in uh, door number two and uh you know you may get a black mark on your your crossing but so that's uh, kind of a long-winded version of my story right now and now i'm just waiting and seeing and i told the guy uh two months ago when i crossed i said you know what i'll probably get this visa by the time i'm ready to retire which is three years so and he said no no you'll get it before then i said i, sh I should make you a wager <laughs> yeah yeah. Are you guys, uh, Corey and Craig, hearing similar stories from businesses on your side? Having the, visa, the, the visa issue was an, was an issue the whole time because yeah, I think a lot of people forgot they or didn't think about the fact that, well, their business was shut down. Our federal government was shut down, too. And there was the, there was immediately this huge backlog of visas. So even, you know, we, we had we did a number of uh, panel discussions on, on immigration over the last year and a half and and uh, to the credit of of the folks on our on our in our membership that that did those sessions for us they said look we're trying uh you're gonna you're gonna be waiting a long time and it's not because of approvals it's just because somebody physically has to fill out the paperwork for you within the federal government and they're just not they're not working they're not in the office they're, their hands are tied in many ways so um th that was really kind of what we heard on the visa issues yeah 
Corey, anything to add? No, I mean, Craig is right. You know, that the government backlog was just an additional, uh, you know, just a little additional topping on the, you know, the icing on the cake of, of this last year. So mm -hmm. I know. I'll tell a quick funny story. I was in, uh, uh, we were in uh, Turpin Springs, Florida last month and uh, we went to a restaurant and uh, ordered the food. I think I ordered like the whole fish or something. And, and uh, we're sitting there waiting. It's like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And, and all of a sudden the waiter and his manager come out and the waiter like crouches down next to the table. And he says, I have to apologize. We had your fish in the oven and for like 20 minutes. And then we realized the pilot light was out. He said, <laughs> so I'm going to order anything else you want off the menu. It's on me. Uh, we're really sorry. And I looked at him and I said, I have to be honest with you. This is the first time in two years that somebody uh, didn't blame COVID for what went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. We've gotten away with a lot. Yeah. Able to blame it on COVID. Participating business of the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, an amazing online presence for you has arrived. NiagaraGiftCards.com is a website for you to sell your business's gift cards and receive 100% of the proceeds. Increase your digital presence and build your business. Join the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce six-month pilot project for free today. Visit NiagaraGiftCards.com to learn more and to fill out the sign-up sheet. The South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, helping businesses grow. Um, so, Craig... You know, we we one of the other issues that we're uh, dealing with on both sides of the border is uh, labor shortages. Yeah. And um, now with the um, vaccination requirement for the truck drivers, what do you think um, the impact uh, will be on those that rely on uh, cross border freight? Yeah, this this is a huge issue we've found and we're very, very concerned about. And I want to thank um, uh, Buffalo Business First and Katie Anderson for actually helping us with some some articles on this and um, uh, helping to get the word out about it. So uh, right now, a truck driver does a U.S. truck driver does not need a vaccine to go into Canada. Which uh, surprises me. I didn't know that. Joyce, did you know that? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, here's what I'll say. I'll say, you know, and we can sit here and debate all the decisions that mm -hmm. were made over the last year and a half. But one important decision that they that they did a good job on was they kept the trucks moving. They kept commerce yeah. going between the two countries. They didn't put roadblocks there. Um, March and April last year, everything was shut down. So trucking was way down. But by by August, September, trucks coming across the Buffalo Niagara bridges were back at about 100 percent to where they were in 2019. So that was good. And that kept commerce in the uh, you know flowing across the border kept the supply chains there were problems yes the toilet paper the bicycles all the different things but the supply chains were moving especially for the manufacturers um so but now on november 8th when we're going to let the canadians come into the u.s uh it comes with this other hitch about the the truckers so we've been working with the ontario trucking association and they uh put a letter together and they they estimate that that's going to pull twenty two thousand canadian truckers out of the cross-border pool now that's again these are mandates and you say well why don't they just get the vaccine well here's the way the trucking works that people don't really realize there's so much there's all the supply chain issues have created a big supply and demand issue there is uh, not enough supply to meet the demand. Mm -hmm. So I'm a trucker. I don't want to deal with getting vaccinated across the border. There is plenty of other business out there for me to do domestically. So instead of going from Hamilton to Syracuse, I, I go from Hamilton to Montreal. 
make the same amount of money uh, and and the opportunities are there. So uh, it's a challenge. And trucking, I would argue, uh, these folks, they're as socially distant as any industry out there. Maybe a park ranger by himself in the middle of a national park is socially distant, but truck drivers are pretty socially socially distant. Um, so this is an issue, and and we 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 really fear that that's going to cause some significant challenges on the in in the supply chain cross border here because. Uh, the two things that are going to happen: one, the capacity is going to be gone. You take out twenty-two thousand truckers out of a out of a system, the capacity is going to be gone. So any of these cross-border uh, pieces that are happening, uh, you're just not going to be able to find a truck to do it literally. And then what's going to happen to the trucks that actually are crossing the border? You know, jack up the price of those right. now because you don't have as much. And so, so it, it, it they call it a supply chain for a reason which is very interesting. And this is, this is what a lot of people don't understand is, so I'm a Canadian, I'm a Canadian manufacturer or distributor. I know I'm going to have trucking problems across the border. What's my solution? Well, I'm going to get all my stuff across the border into the U S into a warehouse and then just distribute it from there. We don't have any warehouse space. So now you're kind of stuck. You got to, we got to figure out a way, figure out a way through this. The thing that's happening out in California is fascinating um, because the media has focused on, the uh, uh, the ships, you've got the, the dramatic right. images of all the cargo ships sitting out on the water. But what really happened was California passed a law that that eliminated a large percentage of truckers from actually to be able to use the port. So they eliminated um, the opportunity for owner operators to get to the port. So individual drivers, which is a, a large, like 30, 40% of their truckers previously were, were not, be, did not belong to the large trucking companies. They were you know, somebody who bought a truck and they're just filling, you know, doing the work themselves. And then they passed a law about, about a green law that, that all the trucks that access the port have to be uh, built in the last three years. So when you take a large percentage, like, and I'm using that just to explain the supply chain, it's not just the boat sitting out there. It's not just the workers at the dock. If the boat pulls in, the worker does it and there's no truck, Right. You're stuck anyway. So, and then that causes problems all the way down. So that's what we're looking at back on the, on the border here is you're, you're just going to have this, uh, this hole in the, in the, um, uh, in the cross-border supply chain, which, which, like I said, there's other business for those people to take and they're, they're going to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, so now how do you, how do you deal with the fact that you pulled 22,000 trucks out of the, out of the cross-border supply chain? And it, it's going to be an issue. Right. So we, we've, we've weighed in with, uh, uh, our congressman on it to help get his, uh, you know, his his advocacy on it, but but um, not quite sure where this is going to go yet. Yeah, and and with so many things during COVID, it's never just black and white. There's so much gray, and you know, here in in Canada, if you are a truck driver in Manitoba and you come to Ontario because you know there's a ton of jobs and you're vaccinated, great you're not uh, licensed to be a truck driver in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Like we have these interprovincial barriers that adds to the problem as right. well. Um, but you know what? There's not a day that goes by that I don't see, hear a news report or read an article about, you know, shortages and, and heading into Christmas. And I think yesterday morning it was, you know, about blueberries and why my blueberries are spoiling so much faster. So it's, um, it's every day. And I know that people are in a panic about, uh, well, in the States, it's the cranberries for your Thanksgiving turkey. There's no uh, aluminum for the cans, right? I, I, I got that right? Yeah, I heard that, but it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll, I'll tell you, we did, we did a whole panel session with Buffalo Business First yesterday on this whole topic. So, because you're talking and I can start to go into why all these things are happening, but we'd be here for another four hours. So, I'll just do the plug. I think next week or so, this this other panel is going to come out, and you can kind of get our our uh, our take on uh, why these supply chain problems are happening. Yeah, and to Craig's point, I just have to say, Dolores, uh, to Craig's point, you know that it's just a huge. Uh, domino effect on the economic impact that we have everywhere and all that. I mean, thank goodness for the truckers and our frontline service that were keeping everything going when we were all locked down. I, we we would have, the country would have been shut down. You can't shut down. And we're still feeling those impacts right now. So yes, both countries have to, you know, get something working for these truckers that won't uh, be vaccinated. I know that there's other people that won't be vaccinated and there's other, uh, you know, measures in place to help them, you know, continue to keep working. We're seeing that also in the healthcare too, that some people just don't want to get vaccine. We've got to have people go. And until you get that comfort zone, I don't know that you're going to get people back in the office, let alone crossing the border. And, and just on a quick topic too, as a, as an international meeting planner too, it's, I have to say, it's great to see that we're going to get people face-to-face because they're so tired of the zoom meetings and everything else. They want to be face-to-face. And it was a struggle to get my clients to book a June conference for 700 people then face to face. And the board finally unanimously said, okay, we'll do it. And we're still looking to it. The international is starting to pop up, but a lot of the international conferences are looking more at 2023. Mm-hmm. They just feel it's gonna be a better comfort zone. Uh, air travel and every uh, cross border will be a lot more, uh, I guess, worked out by, as we hope hope for heaven's sakes that's the case because we really have to get this world back to where it was in 2019 pre-COVID. Everybody wants to be there. Yeah you make such a good point because we hear from our members yes you know we 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 want in-person events we want to get back to in-person and then we host an in-person event and (laughs) nobody shows up and the people who do show up are like I was so nervous about coming I'm not you, you know I'm a little nervous Um, And so as much as people say, yes, 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 they're not there yet. And, you know, we've developed different habits, different routines. Um, There's a lot of confusion around what's safe and what's not. And it's going to take us a little bit of time to get there. And Corey, I don't know if you're experiencing the same with your membership. Absolutely. I I, I swear, I, I really truly believe that we all collectively have PTSD, COVID PTSD, (laughs) where we say that we're ready to, you know, go face to face, have events. And it's, it's very divided because for, for every person that wants to get face to face, you also have a person that is, you know, they'll walk in the room and turn right back around and walk out. And then we have a contingent that quite frankly, has been able to capitalize on the COVID pandemic. So working from home has been great. I, I would love to see if someone do a study of work productivity mm. and where we've really failed with everybody working from home. How many lost man hours from people not doing anything? Mm. Um, and I think it's going to be hard. I mean, we have a large scale event in March and we're already panicking. We're already getting calls from some, from some of the guests saying, well, you know, do you think this is going to happen? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is in March and you're asking me these questions. Well, you know what, Corey, it took two years to change people's habits. And I think right now, and people said to me, it's going to be two years. It won't be till 2023. And I'm like, you've got to be crazy. There's no way. I can't wait to get the hell out and start meeting people and be in, <laughs> in, in company with parties and dinner parties and yep. events and functions. But maybe that's just my way as a, as a consultant meeting planner. That's what I'm looking for. 
But you're right, people are still hesitant to do that. But you know, the study too from working at home, but also what's the mental uh, issues and the uh, impact that it's going to have from the not socializing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing too that stuck people back from you were so sociable that now they've all said, you know, social distance. Well, I don't want to social distance anymore. Like I want to, I want to socialize. And we got to get that back into people's mindset too. It's okay. You can do that. You can hug one another. Well, and you're still from a, from a workforce standpoint, you're still working. Mm -hmm. So even working from home does not mean you abandon all workplace rules and propriety. Right. And so we've been tracking those stories of, you know, asking, you know, from people that are still employees working from home, like what are some of the horror stories and it's amazing some of the things you hear where people are emboldened. The la- one of the people I just talked to um, last week, she had an employee tell her coming back to the office does not work for him because it, it's going to interfere with his getting stuff done, grocery shopping, house cleaning. And she said, but I'm paying you for eight hours, so you shouldn't be doing those things during the work hour, during the work day anyway. And he really objected to that, that that's his time. And she said, well, it, no. It's not. So I think when we do finally really start coming out of this, you're going to have a generation of, of people that are in the workforce, or I shouldn't say generation, you're going to have a segment of people in the workforce that really need to relearn working skills mm-hmm. because they're not going to be able to adapt of having to dress for the office and have decorum and actually showing up on time and doing things. It, we're, we're, this is going to be, I think 2023 is being optimistic for this to settle out. But yeah. let me let me raise this though, and, and and this is my challenge with this, and to Joyce's point about the amount of time it takes to build a habit. We are all talking on both sides of the border in Western New York and and Southern Ontario, uh, two areas that have been pretty heavy-handed with the COVID restrictions over the last year and a half. I have been to 150-person events in Pittsburgh, Canton, and Clearwater, Florida, in the last six weeks. And it was glorious. I mean, it was wonderful. And there was no, nobody was worried. Nobody was, I mean, there was, there wasn't a mask in the place. And it's like, it, it's interesting to see that we, Joyce, I think you're right on. We've been, this has been hammered into us uh, here. And uh, again, one thing, and I don't want to, uh, you know, sovereignty and everything. I don't, you know, one, one thing I've learned in advocating on the border is that we have two different countries here that have two very different approaches to everything. So you know, for, you know, I look at when like our elected officials send a letter to Ottawa asking them to do something. I'm like, Ottawa doesn't care what our elected officials say. They're not, they're not even citizens. I mean, so, but that being the case, uh, there, is, there, are, there is different messaging around the country that, that people have been in, about around both countries that people have been inundated with. And you see that, you see that uh, I use the analogy on our, on our, uh, call earlier you know you know think about like in a snowstorm you you got we got a snowstorm here which we have all the time and you walk outside in the morning and the snow's drifting and you got you got 10 inches on your driveway so you you shovel it or you snow blow it and then you get in the car and you drive down to the main highway and it's perfectly clear there's no snow anyway and you don't know that until you actually get there going to the going to some other parts of the country that have different policies has been eye-opening to me because it's it's like it's a different world and, and the numbers aren't any different and there's, you know, and, and, and people are different and business is thriving. So it's, it's, that's a challenge for me to see that. And, you know, obviously, you know, we all chose to live where we live and, and um, 
you know, there, there's, there's a way of life in that, in, in that community. So, but, um, but some of the things about this, about habit forming and things like that, you see it in different parts of the, in different parts of the, the U S at least. And, um, um, it's kind of eye-opening as to as to what we're doing here versus what they might be doing in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is one hour away uh, and has some very different rules. It, it's kind of kind of kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really good point. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, and and Joyce, you might be able to 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 lead the conversation. The impact that the uh, border has had on on families. Um, again, you, you know, our, our border is seamless. We we have family members and friends that live on both sides of the border, and um, you know, there have been families who haven't seen each other in in close to two years because of it. And so, um, you know, w- w- any thoughts on that? Um, any experience with that, Joyce? And, and then we'll get to you too. I can, I can say my daughter, there's a big border. My daughter lives in Australia uh, and my son-in-law and my new um, two-month-old granddaughter, mm. um, who I haven't seen for over two years now because of COVID and uh, the struggle is. So they're finally going to be able to come to Canada and visit um, on the 24th of December. But it's been a challenge. I just want to talk about this. Too. It's been a challenge for them. In one week, they had their flight changed 11 times. They right. had, they were able to have, uh, you know, for the baby in the bassinet uh, and the seats that they had were perfect, what she had booked. And that changed. They lost the seats. They couldn't have any luggage. You're talking international travel. They wouldn't even give them one piece of luggage as complimentary. You just had to pay for it. So, I mean, that they've got to fix that. That is huge. And I'm telling you, it's Air Canada. That's Air Canada. That's our national carrier. They got to get their stuff together and start making people feel comfortable because if you've got to start going through that and that message. So it's just not the border crossing. You've got air as an issue. Uh, we also saw uh, a lot of our American friends own businesses or homes in Crystal Beach and in the, in the mm-hmm. Muskoka area. It, and it was a struggle. We went to Crystal Beach and we saw them all empty. There was nobody there. And I know that they were trying to get over to see their homes and they had to try to con- connect with other people here. In, in Niagara to check on their properties, uh, families that didn't see, and, and they lost loved ones. Pe- like just not, did you have people that were your children born and you didn't see your new family members, but you lost family members and not having a chance to see them. It was huge, a huge impact on both sides of us mm-hmm. not being able to connect with just friends and family and our businesses and homes, second homes for some. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we've we've heard a lot of stories. You make the point of the cottagers. I know, Corey. You know, you've you've got a director who had a cottage uh, in in Port Coburn, along our south coast. You know, Lake Erie. I mean, in the summer, the population of both Port Erie and um, and Port Coburn doubles, and Wingfleet. It doubles because it's it's the Americans who own the cottages, and they come and they live, and they they you know go to the Buffalo Canoe Club, and and they partake in all of these things, and it just hasn't happened. So it is huge. And I think at one point too, I'd heard that even the um, their ability to get insurance on their cottages was at risk because of course, you, yeah. you know, you're not there. Uh, Corey, I wanted you to weigh in as well. Yeah, that was, that was a very big problem. And uh, in that particular case, the property, she was a long-term renter. Um, but in the meantime, with the border closing, the owner sold it. Um, but all the people that had been running up there for, you know, 20 years, their cottages were all full of their personal effects. So it all went into a storage unit. Um, and it was, well, good luck tracking down your personal effects 
they only were able to track down some of them because in the new um, their new glossy brochures to re-rent those properties, the new owners outfitted those cottages with the property from the previous cottage owners. <laughs> so they they actually set them up and staged those those cottages with with the furnishings from the people that got removed. So you know that was that's still an ongoing issue. Um, and I think that's what you're that's who you're seeing more so across the border now not so much the people that are shopping, it's the people that are trying to reconnect with families. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the malls and things here, you're not seeing parking lots full of Canadian license plates. Mm -hmm. The people that are coming over are actually those people that are, are reconnecting after two years. Yeah, which is actually, good. it is good. It is good. It's, it's interesting because um, when the Canadian border opened to Americans back in October, I guess it was, um, that Monday, uh, our office in Fort Erie started receiving calls from our locals saying, um, you know, there's, there's Americans in our, in our, in our soapies and they're not wearing a mask. <laughs> what, what are you going to do about this? <laughs> so, uh, John, any, any, um, I mean, you're in Fort Erie, uh, any thoughts or reflections on, on that piece? Yeah, well, I find it a bit comical. Uh, I know there was a huge push all summer for the Americans to get over. And again, it's it's not uh, the average Joe that wants to get over. It's the people that own lakefront property. Yeah. And I mean, even yeah. after we opened, I, I was having dinner in uh, in Crystal Beach. And I was, uh, there were three of the four tables around us were, were American people. And older, they were like older couples, like in their 80s that were there at their their summer homes or whatever but you know and and the same thing when it opened i see the peace bridge every morning i walk my dog down by there so i see what's going across the bridge and and i didn't on monday i was stunned there was nothing just trucks mm -hmm. i saw maybe six cars in a half an hour so that told me that yeah i'm and then i was talking to my friend i walked with and he said yeah there was a big push for the snowbirds to get south because they got to get to florida for their right. six month stay right and then after that, it was, it was calm, you know, the bridge was just trucks. So it's, you know, I, I think there was a lot of, of uh, chest beating about, you know, we got to open up the border for the U S and then it was, you know, oh, how come we open up ours and they won't open up theirs. And there was lots of stuff like that going around locally. And it's like, you know what? It's like one of you said earlier, it, they're, they're two independent countries. So you're not going to lord over one or the other. I mean, yeah, we, we, we get pushed around a little bit more, in my opinion, than the other way. But, you know, also we, we have businesses that rely on the influx of Americans to come and eat at their restaurants and buy their gas and buy their groceries and, you know, get their lawn care done while they're away. And, and there's businesses set up in Fort Erie that look after cottages for people during the winter. So mm -hmm. it was an inconvenience for the people, I think. But all they would have to do is probably extend the person they had doing it for the winter and say, Hey, can you do it year round till this is over? So, but it's, uh, you know, from my standpoint, being a small business, I just sit back here and, and I just, I just go, yeah, well, you know, I'm just, uh, they could sweep me under the rug and I could disappear from the face of the earth. They would not care. And I think, I think it goes for both sides of the border, whether you're a small business. I mean, we're, we're two people. My sister is actually an American citizen. She tried to cross well, she actually crossed. She went to the U.S. no problem, and coming home, they wanted her to have a test. And she said, "Well, I'm an essential employee." She's the CFO of our company, 
So, uh, and, and she said, well, I didn't know I had, to, I, I was, I was essential. I put, uh, you know, exempt. And they said, no, you haven't established a pattern. I'm like, well, that, that's a new one that I hadn't heard. I've heard lots of stories at the border, but coming back to Canada, it's like, well, you haven't established a pattern. So then I was going over a month later and I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm going to get the same show and their song and dance when I come back, but it didn't happen. They, they just kind of paused and said, oh, okay, how can we only go over every two months? I said, because that's all I'm allowed because of my visa status. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have not done a good job. I mean, the U.S. on border issues in general, you know, has not done a great job um, in conveying information. And I, I think back to 9-11, because pre-9-11, really think of how open our border was. I mean, you yeah. just, you could walk across, drive across, it was, it was nothing. But then after 9-11, when all the guidelines started coming in with passports and IDs and enhanced licenses, and, and you had that long period of time of adjustment where people didn't understand what the rules were. Uh, if you took, you know, grandparents took grandchildren over, they needed a letter to mm-hmm. say that they had permission from the custodial parent. Like people didn't know that stuff. Right. And that's, that's a big problem. And, and you know, that's a, unfortunately, that's a, an issue here in the U.S. is that we have done a poor job of getting that information out to the general public of what you actually need, what you have to actually do. Um, you know, we hear about the cost of PCR tests. We know that they're there. I mean, it's funny, so on our last call, Craig and I, we were talking about now there's the price is creeping up. So now you're sitting that, you know, you're seeing them hit over $300 for a, a rapid PCR test. Um, and until we really find a way to get that information out there, we're gonna run into all these types of problems because you're letting I shouldn't say you're letting, that's probably not the right phrase, but people at the the border security are kind of the ones that are the gatekeepers. So you might get one that's fine and says, go ahead. You're going to get another one that says, well, you know, it interprets the rules the other way. Until we have clear cut defined rules that are publicly acknowledged, this is going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. And, and I do, I I don't think the U S has handled it well. Um, I don't think we've handled the whole reopening. I don't think we've handled disseminating information well. I mean, we're all like, you know, this is all what we do and we all still have questions. The average person, and we're border communities. So not only is it what we, part of our jobs, but we also are used to it because we live right at the border. So if you're somebody coming from the Midwest of the United States, that's nowhere near a border, they're not gonna understand all of this and vice versa. If you're somebody coming from Canada into the US that really maybe doesn't do it that regularly, it's going to be very confusing. And that's something that we have to figure out how to get one clear cut set of guidelines. And until we do that, this is going to be a problem. Yeah, you make such a good point. And we've had this conversation before with Corey and, and, um, and Craig, where, you know, the farther you are uh, from the border, the less you understand that you are crossing a border. And, you know, we, we would laugh because um, our, our chamber offices would get calls from Americans wanting to come for a visit we'd be getting calls in like April and May of, of 2020. Like we're in the thick of things and people saying, okay, what, what hotels can I stay at? What attractions do you recommend? Um, you know, what are the best restaurants? And we're like, uh, none. I, I mean, <laughs> you, you can't get across the border. Like <laughs> the attractions are closed. Like there's like, if you want takeout, yeah, but you can't get across the border. And, and they just didn't, you know, they just didn't comprehend. 
So you, you make such a good point because yes, I mean, it's confusing for us. And if you're that farther removed from the border, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like it is just not, um, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we have some good stories about calls that we've received. I, yes, think, we I think someday we're going to have to do a podcast on just some of the best calls that we receive. <laughs> or, or book. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm, I'm definitely in for that podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, this has been a really great conversation, huh? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I, I think we need to, to start wrapping it up. We always have such good intentions to keep it, you know, concise, but it always gets away from us. Anybody have any uh, closing remarks that they'd like to make? Some final thoughts? No, hope, hopefully we'll see you soon. Yes. <laughs> yes. In yes. person, in person. In person. In person. Yeah. Uh, in person. It, let's make that a point. The next meeting, it, it is face-to-face, -face, so that would be great. Uh, and I think, too, that we both have some, some challenges there with our countries and getting the, the messaging right to make people feel comfortable and that we can get people crossing and uh, get things moving again. We just really are looking forward to that. I mean, we can spend... And our tour, our local tourism, Niagara Falls tourism, and uh, destination area, we all spend a lot of money uh, with our partners to promote coming here. But we still need our governments, both on both sides, to work together to make it easy for for everyone to do that. So, you know, um, we both have beautiful countries, and uh, we're looking forward to working in partnership with everyone again real soon, and um, sharing that cross border experience. So, I wish everyone all the best, and thank you for having me. And Joyce, I, I echo what you said about working together. I, I think I think we, you know, all of us in, in both communities need to be realistic. And like we said many times, just remember we got two different countries here that that approach things very differently. So, uh, in, in any of the the Canadians should do this, the U.S. should do this. It's not gonna it's not gonna work. It's it, you know, but but what can happen is if we as the business community or we as local elected leaders can get together on these on these things and send that message to Ottawa and Washington. That's very powerful. There used to be a group. Um, there were two. There was the Binational Mayors Coalition, and then there was the Niagara 10. The Niagara 10 was run by the consulate when we had a large consulate here. Uh, we, we, have, we have two people here now. We had 70 people here one time, and the Niagara 10 was all the Councilors, mayors, county executives, everybody from uh, from both sides of the border, and they met once a year. But the the binational mayors group met uh, like every quarter, um, and I actually got had the opportunity when I was with the Chamber of Commerce to staff that that group, and it was it was powerful. I mean, yeah, the I attended a few. It was great. Yeah, when you want to have a a cohesive cross-border message, uh, having the executive from each of the towns and cities along the border. I, it, when we signed their names to a letter, it was pretty powerful. And, and, but it was a good model because, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, our two chambers are working together, uh, is, is important because you can get a, you can get a cross-border statement to both countries and say, we understand the politics on both sides of the border, but for things to work best in this region, th these are, these are the steps that need to be taken. So that's why I encourage everybody listening to, to help us rally around that because those are, uh, it, it's an important message. If, 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 if that message isn't out there, there's decisions being made in Washington, decisions being made in Ottawa that for, by people that have never seen this border, have never been here um, right. and never seen our community. So, so if we can rally our, our business community around it, I think that's important. So thank you, Dolores, for uh, and uh, John for, for having us on.
Yeah, thank you. This was, a, again, a great conversation. I do want to give a, a quick shout out to our sponsor, the Small Business Enterprise Center, City of Niagara Falls. Uh, always a great uh, sponsor of our podcast, and we uh, appreciate their support. Do you have an idea for a small business? Maybe you're trying to grow a business that you've already started. Whatever the case, the Niagara Falls Small Business Enterprise Center is a community service that is here to help. Offering entrepreneurs the tools to start and grow their businesses, the Small Business Enterprise Center is your one-stop for free business information and advice. Serving Niagara Falls and South Niagara, learn more about how we can help you and your business succeed at niagarafalls.ca slash SBEC. Well, John, I guess it's a wrap. Um, next week, we're going to be welcoming the president of Niagara College, Sean Kennedy, as well as the interim president of Brock University, Dr. Lynn Wells. Both the college and university have done a remarkable job in terms of meeting the needs of the community. We'll hear from both presidents about some of the uh, unique and perhaps surprising research programs and services that they're involved in. To all of our listeners, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks again for tuning in and have yourselves a wonderful week.